0: It's wonderful to be together today. I'm glad to be here with you, and I'm glad that you are here. It's been an honor to worship our God together. This morning as we open His Word, I want you to ask a question of yourself. What do you expect of God? What do you expect from God? There are some expectations that are really very popular that a lot of people tend to place on God. Uh, If they serve Him, they expect riches beyond their wildest dreams. Perhaps they expect a healthy, long life or physical peace with everyone around me. Just expect an easy, relaxing life filled only with happiness if I'm with God. That's pretty popular to think that way. A lot of religious teachers have latched on to the expectations that people have. They act as though they can perform miracles or speak in tongues or these sorts of things. And they gain an audience by seeming like what people expect of God. A lot of people have very unrealistic expectations of God. We need to set biblical expectations for God and His work in our lives. All too often we expect a grand spectacle and we miss the simple opportunity to be part of God's plan. I appreciated what Mike shared earlier about his experience in the hospital and the conversation he was able to have with that man who was there and who was searching. <clears throat> Didn't quite know what to think. It's the simple opportunities to be part of God's plan that we often miss because we look for the spectacle instead. In the Old Testament, there's an example of a person whose expectations weren't met. And he nearly missed an opportunity to be healed because of it. His name was Naaman. And we find him in 2 Kings chapter 5. Let's turn there together to 2 Kings chapter 5. It's back in the Old Testament after 1st and 2nd Samuel and 1st Kings for that matter. 2 Kings chapter 5. And look at about verse 1. It says now Naaman, captain of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man with his master and highly respected, because by him the Lord had given victory to Aram. And the man was also a valiant warrior, but he was a leper. You notice the big list of all the great things about Naaman. He's a valiant warrior, highly respected and victorious in battle and all of these great things, but He was a leper. There was one thing that stood out that kept him one major drawback. He was a leper. He had leprosy. Highly contagious. Not a known cure for it. And so his life was diminished by it. He wasn't able to live uh, normally as every other citizen of a kingdom would. Although he was highly respected, I imagine people rarely got to express it to him. Because rarely did he have any contact with the normal world in a normal way. And then in verses 3 and 4, he hears about the prophet in Israel. And he hears that the prophet in Israel can cure his leprosy. And so he goes to the king and he receives permission to go. And in verse 9, he arrives at the house of Elisha the prophet in Israel. In verse 9 it reads, So Naaman came with his horses and his chariots and stood at the doorway of the house of Elisha. Can you imagine the spectacle that must have been? Horses and soldiers and chariots all gleaming with armor and standing in front of the house very official like a captain of the army of Aram. Could you imagine being Elisha? Being inside the house, I don't imagine it being something grand, maybe just something smallish, and outside your door there's this grand spectacle of an army, and in the very next verse, all of Naaman's expectations are crushed. In verse 10, Elisha doesn't even go out of his house to meet him. But instead, he sends a messenger to deliver a message to Naaman. And the messenger tells him he should go wash seven times in the Jordan River and his leprosy would be cleansed. Verse 11 Naaman was furious. And went away and said, Behold, I thought he surely will come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. You see the spectacle. Do you see the spectacle that he's hoping for? It's what he expected. It's the way he and so many others think of God's power that it will only be seen in a miracle and only be seen in a miracle the way I want it to occur. That he would not just come out with the power of God and cure the leper, but rather that he would come out, he would stand before me, he would call on his lo- in the name of his God, he'd wave his hand and cure the leper. He had a lot of specific expectations, but Elisha did not come out. Elisha did not call on the name of the Lord, so Naaman could hear. He did not wave his hand like a magician. Naaman was not yet cured, even after the journey he made to Elisha's house. You imagine that, traveling from one kingdom to the next, not taking a matter of hours, but perhaps days, and he's traveling all the way to his house, and then he sends a messenger and says, go over there and wash in the river." All the expectations are destroyed. But then there's a servant in verse 13. His servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, had the prophet told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? And so we start to see the real problem here. Pride was the real problem. If Elisha had come and made the grand spectacle, that would have been a story passed on through the ages to Naaman's children and grandchildren of the great moment when God healed his leprosy. The calling on the Lord, the wave of the hand, and the magical disappearance of all of the sores. What a story to tell. What a legacy to leave. What if Elisha had sent him on a grand quest to slay the giant and bring back his head to Elisha's door and he would grind it up and make a cure for him? Oh, certainly that would have been a story to tell through the ages to his children and grandchildren of how he slew the giant and his leprosy was cured. But when Elisha comes out and says, Go wash in the Jordan River, anyone can do that. That's not hard. That's simple. It takes away Naaman's glory in the story. It takes away his big grand part that he hoped to play. It takes away all of the spectacle. All the glory would then belong just to God. And Naaman is just a guy who went down and took a bath in a river seven times. A lot of times the job we need to do doesn't carry with it a grand spectacle. doesn't carry with it a grand spectacle. But rather it becomes a combination of some very simple tasks. Nobody may even know you've done any of them. You know, thinking about it, it really takes very little from a person to be washed in the blood of Christ. Hear and believe the message. Turn away from your sins. Confess Jesus as Lord and be baptized in His name for the forgiveness of sins, or in the words of name and servant, wash and be clean. That's all it takes. But so many people look for a grander spectacle. They want an emotional overload. They want a miraculous action from God to emphasize their salvation, but that doesn't come seems to me that if God had commanded that we must do a certain number of good deeds, let's say God commanded that if you did 100,000 good deeds in your lifetime, well, then you would be saved for sure. I think there'd be more people itching to do that than there are to be baptized. Because that's definable. Then I can put a, a certificate on my wall and say deed number 100,000 and have a picture of the moment and the person I helped. And everyone would know that I'd done them. All the glory would start to come back to me then. But when God just says wash and be clean, well, anybody can do that. That's not very spectacular. Don't fall into the trap of Naaman. Don't set up expectations for God that He's never promised to fulfill. Instead, listen to what He says and do it. In Naaman's case and our case, wash and be clean. Now Naaman, he finally listened to the instructions of Elisha and he let go of his pride by washing as he'd been commanded, where he'd been commanded. And then in verse 17, or rather verse 18, he's cured, his flesh is like that of a little child, he's clean. But in verse 15, when he returned to the man of God with all his company and came and stood before him, he said, behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth, but in Israel. So please take a present from your servant now. He wants to pay Elisha for taking care of his leprosy. He's brought all these things with him so that he can give him something. But he said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will take nothing. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. You ever known that person? Frustrating, aren't they? The people who just won't let you pay them for what they're doing. Oh, those people. But that's Elisha. He wouldn't take anything for helping, for doing what he was told to do by the Lord. Even after Naaman urged him to take it, he refused. So verse 17, Naaman makes another request. And this one is a little different and you have to hang with me for a few minutes because we need to go over it. It's important. Naaman in verse 17 said, if not, that is if you won't take anything from me, Please let your servant, that's Naaman, at least be given two mules load of earth. For your servant will no longer offer burnt offering, nor will he sacrifice to other gods, but to the Lord. I said you got to hang with me here, and you do. He wants two mules load of earth. This goes back to verse 15. He said, Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. You see, his misunderstanding was not that God was the only God. He was right about that. He had that exactly right. The God of Israel is the only one that ever has or ever will exist. But he had one thing wrong. He said, There's no God in all the earth except in Israel, the place. So you see, his misunderstanding was that God actually lived within the borders of a certain country rather than over all of creation, which He's made. But with that understanding, doesn't the request start to take on a different light? In verse 17, Naaman said, If not, please let your servant at least be given two mules load of earth, for your servant will no longer offer burnt offering, Nor will he sacrifice to other gods, but to the Lord. You see, Naaman asked, yeah, he asked to take some earth, but the important thing is he asked to take some Israel with him. He asked to take some Israel with him when he went home so that he could worship the only God, the God of Israel, while he was in Aram the one that he wasn't willing to listen to when it wasn't the grand spectacle. Now, because he obeyed and received the reward, now he's willing to be faithful only to him. To reject all others that he might sacrifice to. To reject all others in favor of the only God that really exists. His misunderstanding causes him to give us a tremendous image of a spiritual turnaround. He's taking Israel with him. When he goes. And so you ask yourself. Do you take Israel with you? Do you take your worship with you? Does it reside in your house? Are you the church when you go home? Just as you are when you arrive here. Are you a Christian when you go home? Do you take the church with you? Take our gathering with you. Don't leave it here as though God is a God of the church building only. Make your house a house of worship. Make your house the house of God. Let God dwell in you and in your house. Take some Israel with you. Now the end of the chapter talks about Gehazi. You can read about him if you want, but I'm not going to this morning. He was greedy and he received leprosy for it. I think that's lesson enough. But there's something else we need to talk about. Remember we're talking about expectations we place on God? It's easy to look at the, the world of religion and say, "All oh, those televangelists, they put all sorts of spectacle into what they do. And they, they treat the church as a, as a business to be run. And they, they run it for profit and all this sort of junk. And, and it's just awful what's going on around in the world. That is such an easy trap to step into and stay in for your whole life. And it won't do you any good because you'll never look at yourself. And so rather than just staying on that idea of what other people expect of God, what do you expect? What expectations do you place on God in your life? And are they fair? Or are you kind of like Naaman outside Elisha's house waiting for the wave of the hand? Are you waiting for the spectacle so that you know without a doubt, Aha! Here's my opportunity. There's the spectacle, I can tell. That's where I need to be. Are you waiting for the spectacle? Look back at the first six verses of 2 Kings chapter 5. The first six verses. In the first verse, you see Naaman, a great man, a great leader, a great man of great power, who was suffering with leprosy and there was no cure. But in verse 2, you see something else or someone else. It says, now the Arameans had gone out in bands and had taken captive a little girl from the land of Israel and she waited on Naaman's wife. And do you realize in the very next verse that little girl Little captive with just a little bit of information and a little bit of enthusiasm says, I wish that my master were with a prophet who's in Samaria. Then he would cure him of his leprosy. A little girl who knew the power of God, who knew that it resided with a, a man in Samaria, a man of God, and she exclaims in her innocence, I wish he was over there. There's help over there. And with that she set in motion a chain of events that led to Naaman's extreme turnaround in faith in the one true God taking Israel back with him so that he could worship where he lived. But you see even that doesn't quite gain a full understanding of what happened. Because that little girl was a captive, yes, brought back, serving Naaman's wife. But do you recall what verse 1 said about all those battles and all the things that Naaman was doing? Now Naaman, captain of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man with his master, highly respected because by him the Lord had given victory to Aram. Do you realize that little girl was part of one of the victories that God had given to Aram? She was set in the place that she was so that she could say that one sentence that she did. You see, really, it's not us that starts the chain of events. The chain of events has already started. God set it in motion. Your life is in motion. Your life is progressing the way that it has. And you are in certain places at certain times with certain people. And God has already set the chain of events in motion so that one of them might come to faith, have faith in Him. Will you be like the little girl with just a sentence of information? Just a passing moment of enthusiasm. I wish you had been at worship today. Because there you'll find the power of God to forgive sins through Christ. I wish you could have opened your Bible with me today. Those passing comments may be your part in the chain of events that leads someone directly to Christ. Just like that little girl. Just like Naaman's servant who said in that moment of doubt and furiousness, if that's a word, said to Naaman, if you'd asked something great, wouldn't you have done it? Why not just go and do what he says? Maybe you're that person. You see, there was a chain of events going on all the way from before chapter 5 even started, but once we read, we start to see it fall into place. And everybody had a, a purpose to fulfill. And no one was too small to do it no one no one was too small or too dumb to do it a little bit of information a little bit of information and enthusiasm it was the lord who gave victory it was the lord's plan that this little girl was in this place at this time she just had to share the information she knew and god took care of the rest Will you share the information that you know? Do you know a little? Because if you know a little, you know enough. And you can share what little you have so that someone else might reach out to God. Do you find it terrifying to share the information you have? At times I do. It can be terrifying. Especially if you're not used to it. But it only takes a little. One sentence. That's all. If God had commanded you to do some great thing, wouldn't you do it? Wouldn't you spend your whole life if God commanded you to do something great? Wouldn't you spend your whole life accomplishing it if you could put it on a board and people could see it? How much more when He says to you, Share the Gospel with the lost. Obey me and live. Wash and be clean. What do you expect from God? you expect some grand moment before you'll share the Gospel with someone? Or do you realize that every moment of life is an opportunity given by Him so that He can accomplish His will through us? He's put you in this place at this time so you can be His effective servant To someone who needs you. Someone who needs Christ. So share the information. Many might turn you away, but a few might listen. And through, through you, God is searching for them. Be the one who will share the information. Be the one who is that one link in the chain that's needed. Have the right expectations. Think about life the right way. And you will be a very effective tool in the hands of God. This morning as we close our time together, we do so by offering an invitation. We've talked during our lesson about the plan of salvation and how it culminates with baptism into Christ. If you've been studying and you understand what it is that God has commanded for salvation the way that He grants it to us. And you're ready to put Him on in baptism this morning? We're here to help you and and to do that this morning. We'll receive your confession. There's water behind me. and We will baptize you in it for the forgiveness of your sins by the power of Christ. And if you're a child of God who is had the wrong expectation of how things ought to go, it's time to change them. It's time to expect what God says He'll do. And it's time to do your part so that you can be an effective servant for Him. If you need to make a need known this morning of a spiritual sort, we ask that you please do that by coming forward as we stand and sing this song. we pray